Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Euphoria. Josh Brown here. Today's episode is brought to you by Franchise 5. Why Franchise 5? I'm glad you asked. Growing your franchise in a slow, deliberate, and thoughtful manner is a smart way to grow. Franchise 5 helps you do this by expanding five locations at a time with a zen-like focus on the geographic locations that make sense for your growth. To learn more about this, go to FranchiseEuphoria.com forward slash Franchise 5. That's the number five. So FranchiseEuphoria.com forward slash Franchise 5. Now to today's episode. Really excited for this conversation that I had with Bix and Joe Bixen. These guys are father and son duo where they focus on uh, and have a lot of experience in future hacking and transformational conversations uh, with leaders of businesses of all sizes. And I thought it would be of great value for the emerging and growth-minded franchise system to really learn some things from these guys because they work with teams, they work with management, they work with CEOs on how to build teams in the right way for your growing business. And this is one of those things that is so important to a franchise system that as they continue to grow, as your system continues to grow, your organization needs to grow as well. And oftentimes the challenges that are holding your organization back really don't have to do with the people, but they have to do with the mindset. And so this interview is really kind of fascinating because it touches on a lot of the psychological uh, aspects of leadership, of management, and so forth. And they give some great examples of how they work with teams. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Joe and Bix Bixen. Hey, Bix and Joe, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks for having us. Yes, absolutely. Well, truth be told, this is the second time I've interviewed, but it's going to be the first time that it airs because my technology failed me. Can you guys believe that? Technology failing you? I mean, it never happens, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you guys for taking the time, being so kind and generous to come back on after my uh, my failed technology the first time. But I think today we're going to spend a few minutes with your background uh, and the background of the type of future hacking and transformational conversations that you guys have really in leading teams and leading management in helping them to realize things that they may not otherwise realize. I think that's really applicable in the franchise space. So we were talking a little bit offline and I'll reiterate it here. And that is that, you know, one of the biggest challenges in franchising when you turn a business into a franchise and then you, the entrepreneur, are now leading an organization that wants to grow and wants to add more franchisees to that system. So your role changes. And with that role as an entrepreneur, so does your management team, your operations team, your entire organization changes along with that. So I wanted to just have a conversation with you guys today to kind of, you know, get your thoughts based on your experience. And I mean, you guys have worked with a lot of companies, Starbucks, Guinness, Lulu Moon, Goodyear, Microsoft, the list goes on and on and on. And so you've seen how things can change. You've seen changing tides. You've helped in you helped implement changing systems. So I'm curious just to kind of get your thoughts and have a conversation on what that would look like or maybe some things for folks to think about as they're going through a transition to becoming a franchisor. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. So let's dive right in. When you guys are dealing with and working with 
management teams? First of all, does it run the gamut? I mean, I, I mentioned some large companies that you guys work for, but mm-hmm. does it run the gamut in terms of the si- size of teams that you work with? Absolutely. This morning we were sitting in a uh, weekly management team meeting with six people or seven yeah, people, six people, you know, startups here in Vancouver, Canada, all the way up to global. And first morning started with a, a call from Germany from a global company that we work all over the world with. So we've worked from tiny organizations, startups to global organizations. Well, I love that because, you know, in this day and age and with this economy, I mean, it you, you can really run run mm-hmm. the gamut. I mean, the, the the typical person that I want to kind of focus on today or the typical business is going to be somebody that's got a team probably in the range of 10 to 30 people. They, they have a retail location and now they maybe got a second or third location and going through the process of turning themselves into a franchise. And so what they're realizing is, is that's going to be a new opportunity. But with that new opportunity comes new types of responsibilities. Um, and they're going to have to have team members to fill that out. When you go when you go in and work with a company and help them sort of reimagine their management, I mean, you're coming in from the outside. So you don't have the day-to-day knowledge of the business. How do you guys get started in that process? We know that whatever we are going to accomplish is going to rest on the relationship that we create with the people with whom we're working. And so the first thing is to create, begin to create a relationship with someone that we can actually build from. And that means uh, having like real open conversations from them about what do they see is happening in their business? What are their thoughts about it? What they're what are their feelings about it? And how are they currently v- viewing their business in a way that they don't have to sit there and think that they have to look good or somehow perform for us, that we're both in this together. So we never do our work to people. We only do our work with people. And we know that, uh, you know, it's like what, one of the software companies that we're beginning to work with today and Vancouver, it's, you know, it's fragile at the beginning, because as you said, we're coming in from the outside. And many times they've had other consultants in before, or they've had other people come in that have guided them in particular ways. So we're always getting over that first, what are these guys up to? You know, how are they going to relate to us? And so it's all we know is all based on a relationship that we begin to create and we further deepen through all of our work with those people. It's really a building a a trust, right? Yeah. Uh, And, you know, that's a huge word. And so particularly with people that are beginning to expand their operations and, and to put a lot of responsibility with their team. So how do you do that? One of our basic ideas is that for the most part, people talk about this business called culture or organization. We work from the principle that making the simple confusing, that's easy. Making the confusing simple, that's mastery. So what we are always challenged with and working on is how do we take so many of the ideas that we read about, we hear about, and we make those available and accessible to people so they can immediately 
translate them into actions and results. So how do you do that? Well, the first idea that we ask people to consider is a big idea. And the idea is what's actually having us act the way we're acting and what's having the people around us act the way they're acting. And so recently I was reading, as Joe and I do all the time, management articles, leadership articles, and the article said, success in life does not come easy. It's fraught with pitfalls, obstacles, failure, and mistakes. Success requires persistence, mental toughness, emotional toughness in overcoming these pitfalls. Its pursuit pushes you to the edge emotionally and physically. You must grow thick skin and become accustomed to struggle if you hope to succeed. So I read that, and I'm sure you listen to that, and all your listeners listen to that. We go, yeah, 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 I want that. (laughs) So I agree. I want persistence. I want mental toughness, emotional toughness. I want to be pushed to the edge emotionally and physically. I want to grow thick skin and become accustomed to struggle. Uh, And that's what what Joe and I call our accepted worldview. We think all those things, that that's how we need to, the guys that are now expanding their business, what do they need to do? They need mental toughness, emotional toughness. Uh, They need to be pushed to the edge. They grow thick skin. Except if we stop for a moment and think about that, I can't find, get my hands on, or access any of that. I can't access where is mental toughness? Where is emotional toughness? Where is being pushed to the edge emotionally and physically? Where is becoming accustomed to struggle? Those are all descriptions or explanations of a phenomenon that's happening somewhere. And Josh, I want it. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Me too. That's, That's what I want. So we start by asking people to consider that the culture of an organization or what's having us act the way we're acting lives in conversations. And why we ask people to think that is because it's not theoretical. We can listen to the conversations that we're having and ask ourselves, will these conversations give us the future our business is committed to? So what does that mean? So many times Joe and I will be with a group and we'll say to somebody, who here has a hard time going out and playing catch? Who has a, who, who doesn't think they're very good at catching a ball? And inevitably somebody will raise their hand and we say, okay, come here. We get them up there. I have a tennis ball. I throw them the tennis ball and Josh, four out of five times, they juggle it, drop it, fumble with it. You know, and and then we say to them, hmm, you're definitely a klutz. Okay, good. <laughs> You've proven it. <laughs> You've proven it. True. You you have a hard time catching a ball. And then we say, okay, the game's changing. I no longer want you to worry about trying to catch the ball. However, 
I show them the tennis ball. And I show them that there are seams on the tennis ball. I said, you see those seams? They go, yep. Okay. I want you to tell me, when the ball's coming toward you, which way the seams are turning? What? Huh? What do you mean, which way? I can't see that. Right now, I don't understand. What do you, what do you mean, which way the seams? I said, don't worry about it. As the ball's coming toward you, I want you to tell me which way the seams are turning. Then we inevitably throw the ball harder toward them. Four out of five times, they catch it. Then we ask the people that are watching, what happened? Oh, you threw it better. They practiced. Oh, they, they were more focused. They were more clear. They were more relaxed. Okay, those are all the same things as persistence, mental toughness, being uh, pushed to the edge emotionally and physically. What happened when I asked people who here has a hard time catching a ball? People say to themselves, oh, I remember when I was in fourth grade and we were play I was playing ball with my friends and I it was the end of the game and I was playing right field and I had to catch the ball and it came to me and I fumbled it and I dropped it. I felt embarrassed. Okay? So when we ask people who can catch a ball, where we all go to find out whether we can catch a ball is into our story about ourselves. And the, if, you, if the story about yourself is, I have a hard time catching a ball, the ball that I'm throwing to them literally is a pea coming toward them at supersonic speed. And they act consistent with a pea coming toward them at supersonic speed. They fumble it, they drop it, they juggle it. Sure. Yeah. So then I changed the game. Tell me which way the seams are turning. Huh? Seams. What? Uh, 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 I don't even, I don't have any. What happened is they didn't have a story about the seams. So when I threw the ball, it stopped being a pea coming toward them at supersonic speed and started being a grapefruit slowly moving through the air that they had all the time in the world to put up their hands and catch. So what actually happened is that we're acting consistent with the conversations that we're listening to. If the conversation that you're listening to is, I can't catch, the ball transform into a pea coming at you at supersonic speed. So your job as a person that's beginning to have your team be responsible and take the business where you say it can go is to watch people the way they're currently acting. And if they're fumbling the ball and having a hard time catching it, then your job is to design a conversation which has the ball get bigger, slow down, and has all the time, they have all the time in the world to reach up their hands and catch. So the first big idea, which is a huge idea, is that you and I, all of us, are acting 
consistent with the conversations that we're listening to. And if you're willing to begin to engage in that idea, you can then watch, observe, explore the people in your company and the way they're acting and consider what conversations can you create which will have them acting consistent with how to take the business to a new level of success, a new level of accomplishment, rather than this whole business of being persistent, mentally tough, emotionally tough. (laughs) That's really interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, you know, it touches on, it touches on mindset, right? It touches on instinct. It touches on vantage point and all really interesting things. Cause I, I imagine when you go through that exercise and when you're working with the team, sometimes, or maybe a lot of times people are just in the wrong places in the organization. You know, they may be, they're, they're not working towards their strengths or they're not being motivated in a way or, or, or they're not in an environment that's allowing them to unleash um, their full potential. I mean, is that what you find a lot where you find where people are in an organization, but the way the organization has been structured is such that it's actually holding these people back. And if they can just change their focus, focus on the seams, not on the ball coming, you know, focus on this, not that, that that can unleash uh, some very interesting results. Precisely. Yeah. So, you know, what we always say is when a leader is going from 10 to 30 people and you know they're they're opening up new franchises they're taking their business to the next level that leader is committed to something but what we always say Josh you said the word which is the structure what is the structure that we're all living in and we always say when we walk into an organization we diagnose the problem sometimes which is that people consistently attack the most vulnerable versus confront the most powerful. And so what does that mean? Consistently, when we walk into an organization and a leader is there and they're trying to take on their business, take their team, grow their business, what happens is the structure of the business, in other words, the conversations that the team is listening to are what needs to be dealt with. Consistently, when a leader asks their team to take the next step in their development or take on the next level of their performance or grow into the the next role, the team will attack the most vulnerable, either the leader or us, (laughs) versus, because it's easy to attack the leader and it's easy to attack us. Uh, You know, we have no power in there. We're simply the people from the outside coming in. They consistently attack the most vulnerable versus confront the most powerful. The most powerful is the structure or the conversations in the business that everyone is listening to. And that's unconfrontable. (laughs) The thing with the structure of conversations is it's what we call people's worldview. And so worldview is a a word that's popular these days. But, you know, the the truth is we don't think about our worldview. Our worldview thinks us. And so we can't think outside of our worldview. It's it. It's everything. And so what we ask people to engage with is a learned view of the world. So it's a big deal what Bix is saying here. It's not like, 
oh yeah, all you need to do is take on this idea. It's like questioning everything people have learned up until this point, which is why, you know, 75% of change efforts fail or plans and strategies that people put in place so often don't work is because it requires the uh, new set of ideas, a new learned view of the world for people to take on. Well, that was really, I mean, that was a really powerful example that you guys use. I'm curious. I mean, so when you go and do this, obviously that's working Mm -hmm. with a team. Are you guys always working with a team? Are you first starting with the executive and then working down? Because I have to imagine that there's times you know, I see this from the outside in as a as a mm-hmm. as a lawyer advisor, so forth for for companies where you can kind of see what's going on and say, no, the problem's not the team, the problem's the leader or the leadership or communication or you know, we say all those things, but what does that really mean? Do, do you guys oftentimes have to spend separate time with the leader of the organization before you can effectuate? Um, a conversation that can actually lead to real change with the rest of a team. Yeah, the the, the mistakes that we that I've made o- over the many years that I've been doing this is to think that the ideas are powerful enough to have traction. The great thing that Joe's done, being a millennial that's come into the practice, is he's taken all these ideas and put them in a way that they're all digital now in the cloud and available. And you know what? They're digital now in the cloud and available, and they make no difference unless that exactly what you're talking about, it's the leader's commitment. And so we can't go faster than the leader, even though many times we're going, come on, we can do this, we can do that, we can do this. So how does a leader develop themselves? They got to get over being scared. Or another way to say that is they got got to realize they can be scared and accomplish what they're committed to. One of the things that we misidentify is, you know, we look at the people that we admire and we think that, you know, they don't have the imposter syndrome or they don't have the feelings and thoughts and self-doubts that we have. No, we all have the imposter syndrome. We all are waiting to that somebody's really going to find out that we don't know what we're talking about and they're going to bring the police and take us away. (laughs) (laughs) We're all have the imposter syndrome. We all have self-doubt, you know, as, as you know, the great thing about podcasts is we get to listen now to all these people that we have admired for all these years and we get to hear that they've got the same feelings, thoughts, concerns, worries that we've got. The way we talk about it is by the time you walk out of a supermarket and you read all the magazine covers, you're not thin enough, rich enough, famous enough, handsome enough, powerful enough, cool enough, right? So all those mag- magazine yeah. covers, all the, the world is continuously telling us we should be some other way than we are. And so our job is to work with the leaders so they think, recognize they can have their concerns, their doubts, their worries, and yet create an extraordinary commitment. And what's missing is that people and organizations forget that they've got something to say about the way it goes. And when you forget 
that you have something to say about the way it goes, you don't have anything to say about the way it goes. So we have to be returned to that our voice matters. We got something. The leader is creating an opportunity for that business to be successful. So our initial work with them is to get it out of their mouths in a way that resonates with their greatest desire to really accomplish something. And so, you know, we're all hesitant. We're all worried about it. If we really go for it, you know, we were working with a software company recently, and it was like they were going to market into this channel and get it established in that channel so they would have enough understanding of the marketplace so that then they could begin to take it to the next channels. By the second day of our work, no. We are a platform that's available to every business, every channel. And what happens is the leaders are returned to their voice. You know, time after time in, in our initial meetings, a couple day meetings with people, it all, you know, the, the, the leader forgets that that's why they're there. They're there to create an extraordinary future for their business and build pathways for other people to stand in that future with them. So I know we sound like, you know, whatever it is that people characterize us by, what are these guys so enthusiastic? God, they should shut them, cool it, slow down, you know? (laughs) (laughs) What? No, 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 no. As you, they should laugh less. You guys should laugh less. You should be more stoic. Yeah, exactly. No. So our first job is to get that conversation out of the leader's mouth so they remember why they're there in the first place, what the possibility of this business could be, so that all our ideas, we're never. it's never our meetings. It's never our work. It's about their success. The first thing that's got to happen is that leader has to remember that they've got a voice and that they don't have to be bashful about that voice and that they can engage others. And that's their job is to engage their team and the people around them and their marketplace in really what they're up to time after time after time. When people remember that, they get over all the stuff that's holding them back. They remember, oh yeah, given the amount of hours and days and time I put into my work, let's have it be great. Okay, I better stop. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know, I love it, Bix. I I can ask one question and that's all I need to ask the entire podcast. I love it. (laughs) Hey, so (laughs) you... I know. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Um, There's a topic you guys uh, hone in on, which I think is really interesting, and that is being a partner rather than a savior. And you say it all happens inside your commitment. Uh, Talk about that a little bit, because in franchising, a lot of times as franchises grow, they do bring on partners and partnerships can take on different meetings, but, but, you know, partners as an individual partners, business partners, equity investors, so forth. Talk to me about that a little bit, the, the, the concept of being a partner rather than a savior and that it all happens inside your commitment. What does that mean? Uh, Well, first of all, I really appreciate you think, you know, because most of the time, you know, one of the hardest things 
we have to learn, and I've had to learn over, over many, 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 many years, is to sit on the other side of the desk. Here, I, here we're supposed to be the experts, right? And they're hiring us and they're paying us money to come in and tell them the answer. And now we have the answer, but it's secret. They have to, you know, go for several months and, and pay us a lot of money before we give it to them. <laughs> but in the meantime. Hiding yeah. the ball, right? It was just it was little nuggets. Exactly. Little nuggets. Yeah. So the hardest thing that, you know, I've had to learn over the time and Joe's learning is, you know, the, the, the leader, the, the business owner, whoever it is, will say, well, what are we supposed to do here or there? I don't know what to do about this. And to be, for us to be able to say, ooh, that is a difficult one. You know, what should we do here? You know, I'd love to be able to say one, two, three, four, five. And we usually do have a one, two, three, four, five. But we know that it's going to be much more effective, powerful, meaningful if we can say, let's look at that together. First of all, what are your thoughts? What are your concerns when you think about that? So when you think about this partner or, or engaging with these people, what are your worries about it? What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? And then this whole business of nothing sounds like the truth, like the truth. So it's supporting people in being able to have the conversations that they know that they need to have, but are apprehensive about having them. Uh, and that's what we call ruthless compassion. So, you know, on one side, you got to be willing to be absolutely ruthless. And, and how do you get to be ruthless is you sit with yourself long enough to recognize this is how I'm really thinking about it. This is how I'm really feeling about it. And if I really said it without editing, this is how I would say it. And right along with that is compassion. And compassion is knowing what it's the person that you're speaking with or the team that you're speaking with, what they're going to experience when you say that or when you are with them. So it's putting those two together of being ruthless on one side and being compassionate at the same time. And if you're willing to engage in that, so you'll say something and then you'll watch. Did they drop the ball? Were they fumbling? Was it scaring them? Was it worrying them? Okay, because then the next words out of your mouth are, what's the conversation that can have the ball slow down and get bigger? So we're inviting people to this idea of ruthless compassion, which is being absolutely clear about what it is that you're committed to, and at the same time, recognizing what it takes for people to fulfill that. That's really interesting. I mean, I, I think everything you guys do has has a real emphasis on psychology, right? This or, or, or the psychological aspects of, of business and management and people and relationships and mindset. I mean, is, is that true? It seems like it does. Yeah. One way we talk about that is, um, uh, thanks for, first of all, thanks for bringing it up because, you know, what the way we approach it is we've got a one of the people we listen to has a great quote which is about philosophy and you know sometimes people we walk out of a meeting and people say oh there's the philosophers <laughs> uh, and and we say well yeah you know the the thing about philosophy is is one of our favorite quotes by a guy named Elaine de Baton said well you know most people think that philosophy has forgotten about the people because 
for most people these days, it's so abstract. You have to have a, three PhDs and be hanging out at Cambridge University to to have you know to be in the in the conversation about philosophy. But at its origin, philosophy is really about how can I live better. It's a very simple question. So what? So he says, you know, most people think that people have forgotten about philosophy, but really philosophy has forgotten about the people, and because it's so abstract. So you know what we what our commitment is is to make ideas available for people, just like Bix was saying in this whole issue of partnership. Is we know we're going on a hazardous journey together with people. We know that it's risky. We know that it takes courage. It takes people stepping into new levels of expression and and taking on things that they didn't know that they could do. And we're committed not that it's what we do with them is going to somehow reduce the risk that that is, but that those people are able to step into it as powerfully as we know that they can, and, and they do too somewhere. And so this whole business of providing them with these ideas, or, you know, you said psychology, we say philosophy. It's about having access to ideas that allow us to take on this hazardous journey called taking on a business one of our favorite leaders from the 1913 era uh, is a guy named Ernest Shackleton, who uh, put an ad out in the newspaper for his transantarctic expedition. He was going to go sail to, to Antarctica and take a bunch of sled dogs and sail <laughs> and, and have them drag him and his crew across Antarctica. This is 1913. And he put out an ad in the newspaper saying, men and women wanted for hazardous journey low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in event of success. <laughs> so, I mean, this is what we know that people are going on a hazardous journey. And we know safe return is doubtful. And we want to provide people with the opportunity to step into that. And, and we provide them with these ideas that allow them to do that. 5,000 people responded to that ad, and he picked 26 people. And the and if you haven't read the book Endurance about Ernest Shackleton's Transantarctic Expedition, it's the best leadership book you can possibly read. It's called – oh, absolutely. Really? It's called what? Endurance. I mean, there's several books about it, but the one called Endurance is the, is the, is the one because it was – the worst possible set of circumstances besides this strongest ship that has ever been built being crushed by the ice and having to live on the ice for two years and having to sail in a 26 foot lifeboat in the worst seas in the world for four guys to go to get another boat to come in and rescue all the guys that they had left. Everybody survived. That's what leadership is. His commitment. Yeah to the success and to having his men survive is a testament to what's possible for us as human beings. And that's what it's like every day in your business is recognizing that we can commit to extraordinary outcomes and create the wherewithal to fulfill them. And so our job, your job, all of our job is to remind each other of what's possible 
and to continue to allow people to think about, create, and fulfill the ideas that will allow them to accomplish that. And it sounds abstract at first, but it's very, very practical. It's at your weekly, we were at a management meeting this morning, as we said, what are the people sitting there doing? They're saying, here's where, what we're, where we said we would be for the quarter. Here's where we said we would be for the year. Here's what here, we are in the last two weeks of, the, of this quarter for this business. Here's the financials. Here's each of our accountabilities. Each person says, here's what we said we were going to do, what I was going to do. Here's what I did. And here's what I'm going to do about it. That's called commitment-based management. So it's infusing the organization with each person's experience of their own responsibility for the success of the business and building a big enough conversation for the whole business that people want to accomplish that. I appreciate you guys coming on. And uh, you guys are in, um, what did you say, Vancouver? Yeah. British Columbia? You know, I love Vancouver. I know. Come love on Vancouver. Out. Well, last time I was there, I went to uh, Whistler. Whistling. Yeah. Or Whistler. Whistler. And on one of the most beautiful drives I've ever been on, that was the Sea yeah, to Sky Highway. Yes. I mean, tremendous. I love Vancouver itself, too. I mean, it's just a tremendous area. No, just see, absolutely breathtaking. The Sky Highway um, is supposedly one of the five most beautiful drives in the world. Yeah. And our daughter just moved up halfway to Whistler to a place called Squamish. And so we get to. Dr- go up and down that highway quite a bit and it it's jaw-droppingly beautiful every time it's never you, you never not yeah. i mean you have yeah. pull-off points you have pull-off points yeah. where you go and i turn to my wife and go this doesn't look real i mean if i take a picture of this and send it to somebody they're gonna think i took i took a picture of like yeah. uh, you know a painting or something like mm-hmm. you just can't yeah. it's breathtaking it's wonderful it's unbelievable. wonderful so. that you've seen that experience that yes cool when I came, it was funny. I, 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 every morning I get up and I, I would get up and I found a coffee shop in Vancouver. I can't remember what it was called. It was wonderful, but I get up before my wife and the kids and, and, uh, you know, five thirty six in the morning, go knock out a few things for a couple hours and then just get going with the day. And I just mm-hmm. loved it there. I thought it was just really a great yes, place. It's probably so, JJ, uh, slightly jealous here from yes, Indiana. It was probably JJ Bean or someplace. I, I can't remember what it was called. It was wonderful. Well, thank you guys. You guys can be reached at, at futurehacking.biz, correct? www.futurehacking.biz. If you want to reach them individually, you can email Bix at Bix, which is just like it sounds, B-I-X at Bixon, B-I-C-K-S-O-N com, And that's the number two. So Bix at Bixon2.com. Joe at Bixin2.com. And I think through the website and through the email, you'll be able to get linked up with them uh, through all the various social media yes. accounts. Thank you guys so much. I think you've added tremendous value we, and I really appreciate, appreciate you coming yeah, on the show. here, Josh. And, and one last thing is uh, Bix just released the Bix book, uh, which you can go to the Bixbook.com and uh, find that and that'll take you to Amazon where you can purchase it on an ebook. So people can check that out. Oh, I'm, 
I'm remiss. I didn't mention that. Tell, okay, before we go, tell me about the book. Uh, tell the me about book, the book. Uh, it's, it's a book of 38 stories, very similar to what you're listening to today, is that our experience in working with all these people all over the world and getting embarrassed and feeling uh, good and feeling bad. And, feel you know, when people say, how's consulting? I'd say, I'll tell you exactly what consulting is. It's great. It's terrible. It's great. It's terrible. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so the book is stories about, it's great. It's terrible. <laughs> well, that's awesome. But stories, that's, everybody loves stories. Well, you guys are good storytellers. So I imagine the book, the, what's the book called the again? Book. Say it one more time. B-I-X book. Yeah. The Bix book. Go figure. Go figure. All right. That sounds, that, well, that sounds fantastic. Well, Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great being here, Josh. Thanks for being with us today on the Franchise Euphoria podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to go to iTunes and provide a review. Also, please remember that although Josh Brown is a licensed and practicing attorney, nothing contained in this podcast should be construed as legal advice because it is not. The information contained in this podcast is general and educational in nature, and none of it should be relied upon as legal advice. That being said, if you have questions for Josh and would like to contact him, please email him at josh at franchiseuphoria.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you tune in to our next weekly episode. <laughs>